0: Well, it's great to have the worship music team share with us those wonderful praise songs and to have that reading. Thank you, Wes. And again, it's great to see uh, a few and get to know one or two more of you guys. And next week should be a lot more to get to know. And we're looking forward to that. Let us just pray and ask God to really minister to our hearts and open our minds to what he wants us to hear this morning. Our Father, we just thank you that you are the loving, living, eternal God, and you are our Father. And we thank you that through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we have access to you. We can come to you at any time as we do right now, enter into your very presence and worship you and adore you and love you and express our appreciation for who you are and what you've done for us. Once again, Lord, we're looking into your word and we pray that uh, you, you will, by your spirit, make known to us what you want us to hear and understand and apply it to our lives in a way that is life-changing. So grant this, we pray, as we look to you in faith in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen. I used to fly, uh, learn to fly uh, many years ago. And so I was in this little tiny Cessna plane, and, uh, and it was an amazing experience. Um, it got too costly, so I didn't continue doing it till I got my license. And so anyway, um, <clears throat> back then it was like10 dollars for half an hour's flight and, and instruction. that was pretty good, so it was some years ago. Anyway, so um, I used to do circle and bumps. You know, you, you take off, you, you fly to 500, you, t- you fly up to 1,000, uh, turn the corner and fly up to 1,000, you level out and fly back um, at 1,000, and then you come down and enter into the final um, flight into onto the runway, not into, onto the runway. Well, that was great. I did it many times. And then the instructor... Wally Christopherson said to me, right, you're going solo. I said, oh, okay. So he helped out. I didn't have a mobile. I didn't have any means of communication with him, only with the tower. And so I took off. That was a cinch, you know, off you go. And 500, I I banked around, turned up, and went up to the 1,000, went around. Then I started looking at the runway way down there. I mean, it was only 1,000 feet, but it's still way down there. I thought, oh, where's Wally? He's normally there holding the other thing so that, you know, he's, he's got control of everything as well, but he's not here. I'm all by myself. Well, I landed. It was a bit of a bump, but I landed. But I wished Wally had been, where's Wally? <laughs> At least when I tell a little joke, there's someone here to laugh. That's a lot better than a few weeks ago. When Jesus left, and here he's, he's about to leave and go back to his father, he didn't leave us to fly solo. Oh, he's not sitting beside us physically, not sitting beside the disciples physically, but he's in our hearts and lives by his spirit. He dwells in us. And he's given us the instruction manual of his word so that we can fly if you like, solo, but with him through life. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus spent three years instructing the disciples, instructing them, teaching them. Now he changes from instruction to intercession for his last and meaningful prayer and words before he then goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and then on to the cross It's called the Lord's Prayer for good reason because next week we start looking at Matthew 5 where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Pray like this, he said, and that's been called the Lord's Prayer, but it's not, it's the disciples' prayer. He was teaching his disciples how to pray. Here it is the Lord's Prayer. It's the longest and most meaningful prayer of all the prayers recorded of Jesus and it stands out as amazing in our understanding, our insight into the very heart of Jesus. This is what we see in this prayer, something that you won't see anywhere else, a real revelation of where his heart is and what was on his mind as he faced the cross. Five, six times he calls God his father, and so it is a father-son uh, engagement. And, and communication and communion, really. It's it's really holy ground, this prayer that we are looking at today. He starts off by saying the hour has come. From eternity past, the hour had been set for Jesus to go to the cross. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. At the right time, he came and at the exact time of God's uh, eternal sovereign uh, will, then He was crucified. So he knew the hour had come and he says, uh, he prays, he starts off by praying, Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. So, first of all, we see here, as we look into the very heart of Jesus, the Son of God, as he prays to his Father, we see the heart for mission, his heart for mission. Mission for his mission, for the mission, to glorify God. It was his ultimate concern. The reason he came was his mission. He could have stayed in heaven, but the reason he came was the mission to die for the world and to rise again and then to give eternal life to all who would put their faith in him and the ultimate end of that in eternity in the future when we will be with him. So his heart for mission is summarized by this one big, amazing concept. He prayed, the request is that he would be glorified. Now, in verse 5 we read, he talked about the glory that he had with the Father before he came. So it was a legitimate prayer it was fitting for him who is equal with God having humbled himself become a human and and uh, being willing to to fulfill what the father desired him to do and what he wanted to do to die for us on the cross but it was fitting for him to request that he be glorified that he come through the death into resurrection and then be restored to his place in glory it was fitting it so glorify means to be exalted. So if when you glorify God, you exalt him. He is exalted. He is glorified. And we acknowledge that. We affirm that. We honor his place of, in glory. We exalt him in our hearts and minds, but he is there. He is glorified. And so Jesus, when he asks to be glorified, is asking just that, that he will be restored to his place of incredible glory and honour above all things and with the angels worshipping and with uh, the saints and us here on earth. Now, what's the reason for his request? There's several reasons. And so as we look at this first part of the, the prayer, he, he prays the one item, the one he prayed for was to be glorified then he gives the reasons for his request he asked the father that he would be glorified in order first that the father would be glorified that's interesting because um, as Jesus is glorified he is glorified that in a way that will bring honor and glory to God the father that's the purpose of his request it was not self-exaltation it wasn't that, oh, I want to be glorified. It was that, God, I want, Father, I want you to be glorified. And I know that in order for that to happen, I need to be glorified too. Glory is safe in the hands of one who is willing to give it up in humility and come to this world and become one of us and to die on a cross and be slapped and Spat on and rejected by men and women of that day, and still being done today, and be willing to do that. Glory is safe in the hands of a, of a being, an eternal being who's willing to do that. Amen? In Philippians 2, we read that he took upon himself the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess, and every in heaven and on earth. And this will be to the glory of God the Father, it ends up saying in those verses. That as He is exalted. God the Father will be glorified. Secondly, the reason he prayed this prayer was that his mission can be completed. He says in verses 2 and 3, You have given him, speaking of himself, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He has been vested with, given the authority to give life. His life, eternal life, is God's life. It's not just some injection of some sort of life. It is God's life. Eternal life is God's life. So he has been vested with the uh, great authority to give life to the world. And the only way this can happen is for him to be glorified. Back in chapter 7, verse 39, he says, uh, when he was talking about uh, the water of life and the, and, uh, the springs of living water. And he, he talks there, as yet the spirit has not been given, had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Only in his place of glorification will he then be able to give the spirit of God who will bring life and, he, and forgiveness uh, personally, individually to you and I and to everyone who puts their faith in Christ. In order to do just that, he had to die. The reason he laid aside his glory, his mission to give life to the world, is the same, the exact same reason. He seeks his reinstatement. It is so that he can accomplish his mission, the reason he came. The essence of these first three verses is this. He's really praying, Father, grant me the resurrection, ascension, and exaltation to your side that I may fulfill the work of salvation that you gave me to do by sending the Spirit at Pentecost. The third reason he prayed this prayer we see here is that he he has completed his mission himself, his own personal mission, and he that he was sent to do. He said, I in verse four, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. His actual work was completed uh, at the empty tomb, and the real mission that he started then continues after that. I have finished the work, he said. I want to pause here and say. Will you be able to say that at the end of your life whenever that happens? It could be tomorrow. I have completed the work that you gave me to do. You say, well, what is my work? Well, if you're not sure of that, pray about it. See what gifts God has given you, what opportunities God opens up for you, and serve him in the area he has gifted you or called you to do. Can you say I've finished the work today, right now? Can you say it's done? Yes, I'm happy that I've completed what God has given me to do. I haven't turned away from it. I haven't neglected it. I haven't been slack. Quite a challenge. In this... Requests, Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. It's the central concern of his whole life and ministry. And now focused on his prayer as he goes to the cross and back to his father. The central concern about how he, and now we'll look at his apostles and then we'll look at the church Will bring glory to his Father. That is what it's all about in the mind of and the heart of Jesus. His heart prayer. So, secondly, we see not only his heart was for his mission, but his heart was for his apostles. And in the next section of this prayer, we see that he talks to his apostles and deals with them as a group before he then talks at the end uh, uh, to us and to the whole church. So the word apostle is uh, the Greek word apostolos, uh, and uh, it it was translated into Latin um, in early centuries, uh, which is the word missionary. So it really means missionary. He appointed missionaries. Mission, missionaries. We're all missionaries, by the way. It's not just those that we send off to other uh, places around the world. The word apostolos means sent ones. So he chose disciples from among the many, many disciples who were following Jesus. And those 12 or 11 became sent ones, missionaries, to go out and fulfill his mission. So he was, first of all, confident in their preparation. He In his prayer here, he deals with their preparation. He is, he's prepared them for this. He says in verses 6 to 8, I have manifested your name, he prays to his father. I have revealed who you are, your name, all that the, your name represents about yourself, who you are. I've represented your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. I have given them Note, the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you and, that, and they have believed that you sent me. Now we look at the Gospels and we read all that Jesus taught about prayer and about um, uh, all sorts of uh, like the kingdom of God and the parables and all that kind of stuff. But the central concern that Jesus had with his disciples was that this handful of men would come to a clear belief in who he was, his origin, his divine origin, that I came from the Father and his divine mission that I'm sent. And so it is the fulfilment of that that he's he's. he's sure about that he's he he he's confident in his the preparation that he's given to these men it's just 11 Galileans, nobody's special in the eyes of the world nobody's special in the eyes of the religious leaders of that day he invested in a few he gave himself to them he took them aside he taught them specially he wanted them to come to absolute Clarity, even though they really struggled with it, even in this very upper room discourse. But he knew that they had it and that they wouldn't turn away other than the one that he knew was going to because the scripture said it was going to happen, Judas. And it reminds me of the importance of us doing the same thing. Every church I've worked in, I've sought to encourage people to mentor, to disciple, to get alongside a a, a strong, um, mature Christian, to get alongside a a young Christian, uh, not necessarily young in age, but young in their faith and help them to grow, help them to understand the Scriptures, help them to understand how to apply it to life, to pray with them and to talk with them and and to, to just walk alongside them like Jesus did. It's so valuable. You invest in young... You know, the ones that I've invested in in my life in discipling are are strong in their faith. And the ones that I've seen others do the same thing are strong in their faith. One guy in our church, he took aside uh, about seven people, young people, and he worked with them not just as a Bible study, but he really mentored them. And they're all except for one going on for the Lord. He invested his time and energy into a few and he then entrusted them with the great mission. His mission to reach the world for Christ to a few Galileans. Nobody's pulled out of a place in in. Even in Israel that was rejected and thought of as, oh, they're backward people. (laughs) Nobody special, put it that way. He entrusted them. Though he had a vision for the world. He prays for their preservation. Holy Father, keep them, keep them in your name. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. I've guarded them that none of them would be lost and, and none were except the son of perdition. Um, and he goes on to say, now I am coming to you. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I'm trusting you, Father. Um, what is yours is mine. And what is mine is yours. He says that here. In other words, yes, they're my disciples, but they're yours as well. It's like a joint bank account. You've got a joint bank account if you're married? Should have. What's hers is mine, what's mine is hers. And if she takes money out and buys something, well, I'll talk to her, but she's got every right to. It's hers as much as it's mine. Sorry, Marg, I won't. Don't worry. You can go and buy your. Shall I? Yeah, I will. Marg loves her flowers in her garden. And she's had, this has nothing to do with the sermon. She's, she's, had these, she's got in her garden lots of um, irises. And she got in a Facebook marketplace and she put up, she's got so many, they're multiplying. So she said, oh, you can have a, a rhizome for, for five bucks. Do you know how many she's sold? Over $800 worth. She's still got some if you want any. We'll give you a discount. Anyway, he prays for their preservation. The son prays for those who are his and the father cares for those who are his. They belong to both of them. We belong to both of them. And he gives the means of preservation. How are they going to be preserved? They're sent out into a hostile world. That is opposed to Christ and opposed to Christ's followers. And look what it says, verse 14 and 17. I have given them your word. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Sanctify them. Set them apart. In the truth. Your word. Is truth. Again, as an aside, can I say that when I disciple people and when I am involved in church life, I encourage strongly that everyone gets involved in a daily quiet time with God, reading God's word and meeting with God in a personal time that is disciplined into your life morning, noon or night, whenever it is, to set time aside, not be distracted by TV or family. Go down to the shed if you need to, to be alone with God and to spend that time in his word. The more you spend time in God's word, the stronger you become and the more resilient you become to the attacks of the evil one. And I have seen it proven again and again, people who are in the word, are safe. Not really. I mean, we all are vulnerable, but there's an element of safety there, protection there. You look at Ephesians. What does it say there about fighting the evil one and the demonic powers that are trying to bring us down? When he put on the whole armour of God, every piece of that armour has something to do with the word of God. Every piece. And the sword of the Spirit is the one which is the word of God, which is the only uh, uh, offensive weapon. Everything is defensive. The shield of faith. Faith in what? The word. Helmet of salvation. Everything has to do with the belt of truth and so on. Make sure the word of God is a real part of your life daily with the family at the mealtime, Whenever make it a priority. So Jesus prays for their preservation. Um, the word of God is like a talking about aircraft today and flying. It's like in a little plane, not these big ones that have got all the um, radar stuff and, and, and um, satellite uh, things coming through. But in a little plane where you don't have that, you're dependent on the compass. And it, You know, you might be flying through cloud and you can't see anything, but you just look at your compass and make sure that you're flying in in the right direction. And so the word of God becomes a compass for us as Christians in our daily walk with him. So he prays for preservation. He also prays for their penetration into the world, to go into the world. He doesn't hide them. He doesn't keep them from the world or save them from the world. He sends them into the world. Christians down through time have always had a variety of responses to the world. One end of the spectrum is those who isolate. They go and live in a monastery. Have nothing to do with the world. Not suggesting that. Then there's the insulation. Those who protect themselves, though so they have all these rules and they won't, won't do anything that's engaging with the world, even though they go down to the shops and buy stuff and so on. They they uh, they insulate themselves from the world. It's similar to isolate, but you're in the world. Then there's those who uh, I would say vegetate. I didn't. I read. I actually got this from somebody else, so it's, I shouldn't say. It, I say. Um, I I thought it was good. Those who vegetate. Those who just yeah, just live in the world and and they don't share the gospel. They don't stand out as Christians. They're just one of the crowd in the world. They just just enjoy life and they're in the world, but they're not causing any trouble. They're not sharing their faith. They're not standing up for righteousness. They're vegetating. And there's those who imitate, those who are Christians, yet they embrace the values and the way of living of the world. So you've got isolate, insulate, vegetate, and imitate. But Jesus said, no, I'm sending you to penetrate. You've got to take the gospel into the world. That's the whole point. My mission is wasted if they don't hear. I give my life, I shed my blood, I suffer and die for the world, and they don't hear about it. What a waste. I'm sending you into the world. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If we don't evangelize, if we don't penetrate, then it's one of the others that we are. What are you? What am I? And thirdly, in this prayer, his heart for his church. He says in this prayer, he prays, let me read it to you. I do not ask for these only, the apostles around him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Notice through their word. It's the word of God that brings salvation. Anyway, that will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He prays in this prayer Believe it or not, for you, if you're a child of God, and for me. We're included in that huge group, the Universal Church. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Through the word of God, the Bible, the gospels that they recorded and wrote down, and through the epistles and the whole New Testament and the whole Bible, through that word of the apostles that we have written down, is how the gospel gets out and people believe that message. You and I he's, uh, are involved in this. And so the goal of the mission of Christ and for his apostles is the health and the witness and the eventual glorification of the church. Uh, the church, the word means called out ones all those who have been called out of the world to belong to Jesus, the new community of faith that Jesus establishes at Pentecost. So um, it it says that this church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone, it says in Ephesians. Now, what about this church? It is first of all a church to be marked by unity. Now, of all that he could have said, all that he could have prayed for, Lord, I Father, I pray that the church will be strong in their resistance to the world's values. I pray that the church will be evangelistic going out with the gospel on the street corners and door to door and every way possible to make known the good news or i could i pray for the church that they will be very welcoming and, and warm and and that children growing up will be feel safe and, and 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 there's a list a mile long that he could have prayed for but he prays for unity the one And the only thing that he prayed for the church that, for now, is unity. Not just unity, but unity that is modelled on the Father and the Son. As I am in you and you are in me, so they may be one. A spiritual unity manifest in real life unity. If you would list off without being now uh, prepared in your mind for what I, because of what I just shared but if you had listed off before you came here the three major things that you'd pray for for this church what would they be? I going mean, think about it what would they be? Hmm unity sure great anyone else I mean you don't have to answer me but I think a lot of Christians would say we pray for the church to be have a vision and be moving I pray that the church will be uh, evangelistic I pray that the church will uh, do great things in the community what be alive or whatever so uh, we we pray for the how we pray for our church is is, I think, needs to be conditioned by this, we need to pray for unity as a priority. It is a prayer, he prays that, he prays that the unity that is real will be demonstrated. It's like a family, a family has a unity you 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 if you're a member of a family let's say a young family with teenagers or youth or children or whatever and you're a family and belong to this church or listening in or watch it watching um you are united there is like either blood relationship or adopted whatever but you you've you're united as a family you are the family unit Now, there may be disunity within the family. It may even be a really dysfunctional family, but that doesn't change the fact that you are a family. And what is meant to happen is that that family functions as a unit, as a one family, looking out for each other, caring for one another, uh, protecting one another, helping one another, giving to one another. That enables unity to be realised Even though the unity is there anyway because they're a family. You're a family. And so it is with us. We're the family of God and we are united in Christ. It's not a unity we create. It's a unity we keep. In Ephesians we read, And we're commanded, Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maintain something that is there and is real. And he goes on to give a basis for the unity. There is one body, one spirit. You are called to one hope that, and, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he's saying that that's the basis for our unity. We are one, but now maintain the unity in the bond of peace. Now, unity is not unanimity. And I think a lot of churches have struggled with this because They've tried to, they've they've equated unity with unanimity. Unanimity, where everyone agrees on everything, is impossible. You'll lose people because they won't agree with you on some things. There's going to everyone's different. Now, who can I pick on? Rob, you're different from me, mate. I I have no idea, but I I guarantee that if I really got to know you, you, you'd have thinking and and ways uh, that that are different to mine. My wife is different from me. I love her, but she's different. And um, I won't go into that. (laughs) Don't worry, love. Someone said if if two people agree on everything, then one of them is not thinking. It's not unanimity and it's not uniformity, which is legalism, where um, the church says, this is it, you've got to wear hats, you've got to do this and you've got to to have this sort of music and you've got to whatever. Um, And and that's like legalism. It's not uniformity, it's not unanimity, it is a, a love and respect for one another who are different And living living out the unity that we have in the spirit. So that that is the first point of how. And and I'm probably going over time. I'll I'll be there. I'll go through this very quickly. First of all, how do we maintain unity? First of all, love and respect. Respect those who differ from you. The big thing at the moment is vaccines. Hey, some people have a mind about that that's different from yours. All right, respect it. You have your own mind? Great. And they'll respect you, hopefully, and together we are united despite our diversity of thinking. That's what church is about. If you don't do that, you'll have problem after problem after problem. Love and respect, it's within the marriage, it's within the home, it's within the church community. Second one is discernment. Discerning between negotiables and non-negotiables. Jesus Christ is Lord, the risen King of kings. He is God incarnate. That's a non-negotiable. And if you don't agree with me or the church on that, then there is going to be, in fact, it says in 1 Corinthians that there must need be divisions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognised. In other words, over issues like that, there's going to be division because you have to stand firm to the truth. But there are non-negotiables about the mode of baptism. I mean, you're a Baptist church. But then the people might come in here and think, no, I think being sprinkled is okay. Okay, well, that's a non-negotiable. I don't have to fall out over it. You have a strong belief about one thing. About uh, the kind of music we sing. Uh, the, the form of the service and so on. It can go, the list is never ending. We are called to unity, and that means love and respect. It means also discernment, as I just said, and then thirdly, glorifying God. Does my response to that person who thinks differently, acts differently, does differently or whatever, is that glorifying God? My actions, my words, my emails, my comments on social media. What's my response? Is it glorifying God? That's a big one. And why should we? Because it says the witness of the world is its unity. It says so that the world may believe. Be united. Christ is praying for unity so that the world may believe. They will see it. They will sense it. They will know it. And they will be attracted to it because there's not much unity out there. And finally, the church with an expectant hope. He says, you will see my glory. You know, I can say this. Brian is seeing Jesus' glory. Amen. The Bible often talks about heaven as glory. Jesus is glorified. And we will see him. On earth, unity. After death, glory. On earth, we face hostility, just like Jesus did. After death, Jesus will present us before his glory with exceeding joy, Jude 24. The prayer finishes in the last few words with a focus on what? Love. Last words of Jesus in the prayer. Love. That the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Notice. The love modelled by the Father to his Son who allowed him to go to the cross because he loved us, may be in them and I in them. He has poured out, we read in Romans 5, he's poured out his love into our hearts by his Spirit. That same love that the Father loved the Son, the Son now dwells within us by his Spirit, and that love is there. We're not flying solo, in other words. We're called to love, but he's in us, enabling us to love. Let us do just that. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, how we need these words. Apply them to our lives and to our church, we pray, so that we may glorify you, in every way, that we may stand united and that we may move forward united with a heart that is akin to your heart, a heart that is uh, one for mission, your mission, one for uh, unity and one for looking forward in great hope for glory, the glory that you will give us as we Reflect your glory and are brought into the very presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.